Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 347 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for Lyme disease and functional medicine approaches. So this has been a topic of request for quite some time. And I think while we don't have a ton of Lyme in Texas, we're for sure seeing, you know, people who visited other states and other tick-borne illnesses, you know, popping up. So we're going to go ahead and just cover some info on prevalence, common symptoms, testing, tips for prevention, and then treatment approaches today. Yes. So we're going to take a functional medicine approach, as always, talking about systems and when systems are out of balance, what natural compounds you can employ to get the body back into a restored state. With that being said, like Becky noted, we have merely a couple, um, probably maybe between us, two handfuls of patients that have actually been dealing with active Lyme disease. We have seen successful outcomes, but we are not coming at this topic as experts on Lyme. Uh, So we might at some point do a level two for this, but I think we'll definitely give you enough information for considerations and absolutely some things that you can implement to restore, like I said, whole body health, working with microbiome, working with antivirals and so much more. Yes. All right. I think our only update is this podcast airs during Stelly's birthday week. So happy birthday, Stelz. Happy birthday, Stella. Goodness gracious. How did that happen? How am I a mom of a seven-year-old? She just recently finished first grade and had her first ever ballet recital. And I sobbed watching her on stage. And then also was trying to like retire my uh, ballet teacher days of, (laughs) oh, that tondu needs to be turned out. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Who's that? Uh, So it was, it's really been a blast and it's been fun to see her just shifting fully into, I guess, a true little girl into, I guess, you know, she's been calling herself a big girl for a while, but that like seven to nine leap is what I feel like we're finding ourselves in. So super special. Uh, we've been really enjoying our time together. And during this month of June, I'm taking another couple weeks to just really integrate with her and, uh, spend some time on our land and get the house going. And it's been fun to soak in all the mama stuff. Yes. So good. Awesome. All right. Let's just have a quick word from Carnivore Snacks, our sponsor for today's episode, and then we'll get right into it. Yes. So y'all know that we love Carnivore Snacks. They are truly just two ingredients of delicious quality meat sourced from regenerative grass-fed farms and Redmond ancient sea salt. So these two ingredients come together to make honestly culinary magic. It seems too simple, too good to be true, but the way that they slowly dehydrate their carnivore snacks creates this like uh, mouth watering, I'm trying to describe mouth watering, soft chew, also blended with a little bit of a nice hard chew. Um, so you get this kind of like flaky element and it's been referred to as a meat pastry. It truly melts in your mouth and really drives that amandamide or that compound in the brain that aids in bliss and reduces stress. So carnivore snacks are something that I like to keep in my car. They're also shelf stable. So a great thing if anyone's having a meltdown or maybe had uh, too many carbs at a friend's house and you're picking up your kiddo and they need to kind of recalibrate or they played a soccer game and they were given Gatorade and (laughs) crunchy carbs and you need to kind of ground them back down or even a teething baby like little Mabel. um, Those carnivore snacks can be a fantastic option for all ages in the household and they are really quality source as I mentioned but also they're really nutritionally dense. So the way that they dehydrate them is going to result all of the bioactive nutrients and each ounce of carnivore snacks is going to have actually more protein than a standard option would. So if we're looking at like burger or steak or chicken or wild salmon, each ounce of uh, protein is only going to be seven grams. But the way that carnivore snacks 
creates that removal of moisture, you're getting 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce. So nice, dense protein delivery in just a little bit of munch. But the eating experience is so satiating that I find myself being able to self-limit. It doesn't create like a snacking tendency, but it satiates as a snack. So even like at the end of the day, if I'm craving something and maybe my husband's going for like a siete chip or something like that, I grab myself my bag of carnivore snacks. I have one or two slices of the ribeye and I am satiated and satisfied and still staying optimal with my macros. Yes. So, so, so yummy. I've been recommending these as a, an option for like summer travel. So yeah, beach good snacks, idea to get them for pool snacks. beach snacks, pool snacks, travel snacks on a plane yes. um, for sure can work really well, especially if you don't know the next time you're going to eat or the source mm-hmm. of uh, protein and we're trying to stay tight. I think this can be a really great option. Yeah. Not to mention, I suppose, camping and hiking because sure, yeah. they're so lightweight. Yep. So go on over to carnivore snacks with an X. So that's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com and put in the code Allie Miller RD. You're going to save 15% off of your order and get free shipping on an order of 125 or more. Again, that's carnivore snacks with an X. Use the code Allie Miller RD to save. All right, let's do it. Um, So let's just start out by defining Lyme disease and how common it is. Yes. So Lyme disease is a complex infection caused by a bacteria. The bacteria is Borrelia burgdorferi, and that spreads from a tick bite. So the majority of cases of Lyme's are associated with deer ticks or the black-legged tick, but other insects actually, such as mosquitoes, spiders, fleas, can also spread Lyme. And according to the CDC, up to 300,000 Americans are diagnosed with Lyme every year. Now, again, we'll note in today's topic about how a lot go undiagnosed. So we could easily assess that that could be a third of the amount or even maybe less because a lot of it goes largely underlooked, excuse me, overlooked. Um, The cases are largely going to be concentrated more in the Northeast or the upper Midwest, especially where we see higher prevalence of deer ticks in general. And um, 14 states are going to be accounting for about 96% of those cases. Yes. So super common, you know, where I'm from in Connecticut, actually, um, it's named after Lyme, Connecticut. Interesting. Um, So it seems like every year someone in my family has it and it's just kind of a normal, oh, you just go to the doctor, you get your antibiotics and you're good. Um, but I've also seen people have really chronic symptoms. Like my brother actually had Bell's palsy from it. So it can be really intense. Um, so let's talk symptoms to be aware of, even if you're not living in one of the hotspots per se, you still, again, could pick this up with travel. And we do see a small percentage of, of cases in other states that 4%, you know, for sure. spread out. And I think the big picture of today's episode is that any form of infection, especially an infection from insect or from animal can drive systemic disease. And so any form of infection from a pathogen or a bacteria, we want to treat as quickly and rapidly as possible so that it doesn't create neurological effects, autoimmune effects, et cetera, like you were alluding to. So when we're looking for symptoms of Lyme disease, uh, the first thing that I think most people are knowledgeable about is looking for that classic bullseye rash where the tick bite occurred um, or that characteristic butterfly rash. And this is actually though only going to be seen about 70% of the time in cases. And this is where often then it can be overlooked because if you're not seeing that, you might not even think. And especially again, if it's a mosquito bite or some other buggy impact, we're not going to see likely always that evidence. Sure. And and might just think, oh, I have the flu. I'll just kind of let this ride out. And then it you know, progressively will get worse. Right. So symptoms of any infection would be seen generally, you know, so with Lyme, we'll also see flu-like symptoms, including fever, neck pain, lymph node swelling, chills, fatigue. We can see night sweats or uh, generalized aching and muscle aches. We can see joint pain, uh, which about 30% of Lyme patients actually develop symptoms of arthritis following infection. We can see impact in neurological health, such as sleep. You mentioned actual having nerve influence through Bell's palsy, which could be forms of paralysis or neurological impact in the world of neuropathy we can see. 
We can see chronic fatigue, just like a long haul type of symptom. We can see digestive issues, including nausea and loss of appetite. And then we can also see cognitive changes and brain fog, as well as mood changes such as depression and anxiety. Yes. And then post Lyme disease syndrome is how doctors are going to refer to this once it becomes a chronic issue. And again, that mm-hmm. happens for a lot of people because it goes undetected or maybe it's not treated adequately. We'll talk in a sec. It could be just a two week course of antibiotics. And a lot of times that's not enough to kind of get mm-hmm. this bacteria at all of the stages of its life cycle. Yes. And you know, the, the concern there is if we're just dealing with some of these like long haul influences, One might not be sure if it was strep or COVID or any form of viral infection. They may not know that it actually was a bacterial infection. And I think that that's really important to call out because when we're looking at post-Lyme disease syndrome, you know, um, often we aren't having even the treatment in there. So instead of PT-LLDS or post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, we could just see Mm -hmm. post-Lyme disease syndrome without that treatment element. Um, and that's because often these symptoms can take a time to manifest, or again, you might write them off to other types of infections. And when we're looking at like a Western blot test, which is the most commonplace assessment done by like your GP, um, it's only meaningful during the first four weeks of your illness. So if you've been infected for longer than four to six weeks, you're going to get a negative response. Um, and so that's going to be, you know, you're overlooking that positive impact um, and not going to maybe be treated at all. Okay. So you'd get a false negative yes. in that case, mm-hmm. um, which is concerning. And, and most doctors just do the Western blot, I believe. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And what also is interesting is that two people, you know, even in the same family could be bitten by the same tick and one might develop symptoms while the other might not even know they ever had it. So yes. it's really one of those things where it's all about the terrain. And I think that starts with immune system susceptibility. Absolutely. So an individual that's, of course, higher stressed, that has leaky gut, that has dysbiosis, or that has micronutrient deficiency or exposure to toxins. All of those individuals are going to have that Achilles heel where they're going to have more susceptibility to infection to take over their immune system and then drive them into dysfunction in their body. So the overall arching element of Lyme disease, COVID, et cetera, is you really have to treat that terrain and look at those buckets of areas of vulnerability and support robust health. But really interesting, uh, you know, in July of 2018, in Frontiers in Immunology, there was a study that shed light on some of the key immune mechanisms that help to clear this Borrelia infection. They looked at peripheral blood mononuclear cells from the uh, infected patients, and they analyzed over a range of time points spanning the initial untreated visit through the two years following treatment, along with healthy controls in the same geographic region. And the researchers found that the higher blood levels of the plasma blasts, a specific B cell subset of antibody producing immune cells was correlated with more rapid resolution of Lyme symptoms. So the individuals that made particular types of B cells through their immune system response actually was able to have less severity of symptoms. Got it. So that could be one reason among many that someone shows up with severe symptoms and somebody isn't affected at all. Yeah. And then what was interesting is those that had the poor plasma blast responses, this was associated with longer symptom duration, of course. Um, This was also seen post-doxycycline treatment. Um, And so again, we have to think of that impact of the antibiotic fighting infection, but then if you don't support a robust microbiome, you know, we have that, we should link our episode on, um, so you have to take an antibiotic. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really relevant in this concept because that rebound effect is essential to actually help your immune system to then produce those antibody compounds, which are going to drive that resolution element. Yes. Um, And then we can also see other elements of inhibited cellular function and protection. So again, going back to the you know, health of the host essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can see an existing gut infection. In fact, um, we've seen studies kind of similar to what we've seen in long haul COVID where, you know, post Lyme, 
patients um, have a distinct microbiome alteration, actually. And we don't know if that predisposed the infection or yes. if that's because of the Lyme, but I would I would garner a little bit of both, right? Chicken and egg. Yeah, and again, then depending on how it's treated and for how long could exacerbate that already existing SIBO or dysbiosis or candida, which then further weakens the host. Totally. And then is going to deal with that more severe long-haul type symptom. Totally. Um, and then exposures to environmental factors that also are going to weaken the immune system like mold or parasites, basically anything that you're you know, actively fighting is going to suppress your ability to respond to this particular disease. Yeah. And that's why I called out toxins because it could also be industrialized toxins. So an individual that works in a field of maybe more chemical elements. So maybe a individual that's cleaning houses or working as an esthetician um, and anyone in the petroleum field, they're going to often have then that weak point of already driving that liver stagnation or that uh, overwhelming element to the liver to not clear the debris from the die off. And that's going to drive just like in COVID that long haul element. And I would call out, I think also beyond the prevalence of ticks out there in the Northeast is also where we see a lot of mold. Yes. Um, And so that's a really, I think, common interplay element there. Um, A lot of the homes are old, old, like 100 plus, 150 plus year old homes. They all have basements. Yes. Which we don't have here. A lot of them hold water. Um, So I think that that's an environmental risk factor for sure that uh, plays a big role. Totally. All right. And I'll make sure I link that um, that COVID long haul episode too, because I think yes. there's a lot of interplay and a lot of overlap there. Okay. Yep. Um, all right. So let's talk about a little bit about co-infections and kind of what mm-hmm. makes Lyme so um, you know difficult to get to the root of, I guess. Yeah. So co-infections would definitely be one of these, again, buckets of vulnerability. Uh, We tend to see for sure parasite like Babesia or Bartonella, uh, the bacteria that's responsible for cat scratch fever, uh, often accompanying the Lyme spirochete. And uh, this can actually play a role with inhabiting the insect. And then this can transmit to humans during a bite. Um, and so these microbes can contribute to more aggressive symptoms and they have to be properly identified and addressed. Got it. So we might not even know that we have one of those co-infections and that could really wreak havoc, especially on the gut in the case of you know other bacteria or, or parasite. Yes, absolutely. Got it. So those co-infections would kind of come along with the Lyme and then those would have to be tested for separately as well, it sounds like. Right. I mean, you might not eradicate the parasite or the other bacteria if working with an antibiotic of choice, often doxycycline is the go-to, which may not then eradicate those other co-infections. So when testing for Lyme, as I mentioned, you know, that Western blot test, which is kind of a standard immunoglobulin assessment, this is often very time specific. So you can get a false negative if you go past that four to six week from the infection point. The ELISA tests also use immunoglobulin measurements, but they're a little bit more sensitive. You know, it's kind of debatable in more of the mainstream medical model. They'll state that those ELISA tests are false positive, but maybe they aren't. There's just not a lot of studies to really be able to distinguish. We're seeing some promising outcomes for individuals that are really skilled in these conditions doing microscopic assessments because in a microscope, they're able to detect Lyme disease and then also able to see evidence of that parasite or some of those other co-infection organisms under the microscope so that a comprehensive plan can be addressed right away. And, you know, this is really important uh, as far as if we're considering that we're at high risk and we're experiencing some of these symptoms, because if Lyme disease isn't diagnosed and treated early, these spirochetes can actually spread and they basically can go into hiding or like drill their way into different parts of the body. So this means that months or maybe even years later, patients can develop problems with their brain, their central nervous system, their muscles, their joints, their their heart and cardiovascular system, digestive, reproductive system, and even skin or autoimmune type flares. So in theory, could be like, you know, um, reactivated kind of like right, Epstein goes dormant. Bar, goes dormant and then could be reactivated years later probably when the individual is under stress or there's some other susceptibility there. Yes. If gone untreated, absolutely. 
Okay. Um, and then once you are diagnosed, and I think it is important to be working with a health professional that is Lyme literate, that's kind of the yeah, lingo for oh, like a, a Lyme literate um, doctor. Um, and I'll link the website where you can actually find Lyme literate docs that are also functional in mm-hmm. your area. Um, Cause you'd want to have this type of testing done to be officially diagnosed. Um, the most conventional treatment from there is going to be antibiotics, as we mentioned. Um, and there's kind of different treatment guidelines depending on the stage and how early you caught it. Yes. So antibiotics are going to be that first line defense because you're treating a bacterial infection. So you're going to want to use an antibacterial. Uh, Doxycycline is usually the go-to. Amoxicillin may be used. Uh, Also, we can see some of the categories of uh, azithromycin being used. And um, often it's going to be like a two to three week window. And then if there's early localized disease, so in other areas of the body beyond just the bite itself, having symptom expression, this might be extended more of a two to six week. And there might be a cycling of different antibiotics used to try to address that potential bacterial resistance or that super bug infection element. Now, if we're looking at late or chronic Lyme disease. So maybe it was treated, but it's still uh, being experienced as far as symptoms or was never treated. There's often going to be a more aggressive, if especially we're seeing some con- some concerning symptoms expressed like neurological, et cetera. Um, this would be treated for four to six weeks with one of those antibiotics. And again, maybe cycled. And then we'd want to maybe look at that microscopic assessment to rule out co-infections. Sure. sure. Uh, and there could be IV antibiotics. So pretty, mm-hmm. you know, severe bomb to the gut that we want to really consider. And not everyone responds well to the antibiotics, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's side effects of every antibiotic on the market. A lot of times we see things from tendinitis to, of course, sterility and suppression of oral immune response. Um, As I just had mentioned, you know, those that recovered better, that recovery B cell response that's necessary for a robust immune reaction was suppressed following the antibiotic. Uh So that antibiotic recovery and during antibiotic protocol functional medicine approach to kind of bubble wrap and protect is really essential. And so I would say, you know, the patients that I've worked with, I'm not calling myself a Lyme literate practitioner, but I am a functional medicine practitioner that can think critically. And when I know the course of treatment, I can help to mitigate or offset the side effects and protect the individual's body from the treatment protocol. So we're always going to be using, for instance, GI lining support to protect against that stress to the GI tract. We're always going to be using that rebuild spectrum probiotic. And then we're going to be bringing in that GI cleanup and that targeted strength after the antibiotic treatment, or even in the second half of the antibiotic treatment, we might pulse the antibiotics. We might run stool to assess where the microbiome is at six weeks following treatment and to make sure there aren't other pathogen co-infections that we can manage on our side. Yeah. And the clients that I've worked with, um, they've been doing like a two week on two week off kind of thing. So then that two weeks off, I go really aggressive on the the probiotics mm-hmm. and also during the antibiotics, uh, make sure to layer in some detox support for Absolutely. the die off that comes with it. Because oftentimes, as we know, with eradicating any kind of pathogen, that things can get worse there before they get better. Absolutely. And, you know, that's where then we'll see a lot of that long haul muscle mm-hmm. ache, uh, mental fatigue, brain fog being demonstrated because the lymphatic system needs to have that clearance and getting rid of that debris is really essential. So detox packs absolutely during and throughout and following and and probably like a three month period where at least taking a detox pack daily in that active treatment window. Yep. Um, so conventional approach, you're looking at 10 to 28 days ish of antibiotics or maybe cycling and, and, you know, some research suggests 25% of patients will have at least some symptoms even long after antibiotic therapy. And this is because um, that Borrelia pathogen is really tricky. Like it can hide, it can cloak itself, and it actually suppresses your immune system, which allows it to hide and grow stronger and replicate. Yes. So another thing that I've been adding in for sure, and would be a big recommendation would be the GI immune builder. So again, that GI uh, lining support is going to protect 
the damage from the treatment from the antibiotic use, but the GI immune builder is actually going to support the immunosurveillance function. And so that's going to actually help in the manufacturing of those immunoglobulins to help to work with that antibody antigen detection and that pairing and that activation or turning on of the immune system to actually combat and get rid of the infection. Um, so that GI immune builder, I think in any of these kind of sneaky infections, e- Epstein-Barr, as you mentioned sure. as well, um, someone that's dealing with chronic re- recurring ear infection, strep, when the immune system is not doing its job, that's an indicator that you need the GI immune builder yes. beyond probiotics. Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, okay. So we're looking at weeks to even months of antibiotics, many people requiring several rounds. Um, let's talk more on, you know, some more of the natural approaches. I think prevention would be the first thing (laughs) to look at because, you know, all of this sounds like a, a pretty rough go and a nasty course. Um, so doing kind of the general things to, you know, especially if you are in a wooded area or yes. hiking in the summer, um, in some of these Northeast states, um, or, uh, in the North, um, looking at using a natural bug spray, maybe one that's formulated with like oregano and mm-hmm. lavender essential oil, Yes, um, doing tick checks every <laughs> night. Mm-hmm. I know when I nannied out in Long, Long Island, that was like a big thing. We'd get the boys stripped down and we would, you know, check them for ticks every yeah. which where. Um, so doing a tick check and um, getting a partner to check you too. And then long pants and long sleeves and yes. light colored clothing. So not going with dark clothing because you want to be able to see the tick on your clothes before it goes ahead and embeds in you. Yeah. I think that that's really smart and, uh, absolutely the like rash guard wearing layers of things is often going to be your number one defense support the barrier, right? Instead of like in the reference of getting a sunburn, I prefer support the barrier versus putting on something that's going to transdermally absorb into the tissue. Sure. So again, you know, instead of like applying uh, God forbid the DEET and some of these really toxic, um, anti, um, uh, insect repellents, excuse me, um, or bug sprays, I'd really look at, yes, these natural products and even applying those on top of clothing, uh, because that would be the best way to go about it. And then we of course want to support a robust immune response and that terrain, right? So if we're looking at all of those buckets, the first thing we want to make sure is that our microbiome is optimized. I think honestly, for all listeners doing like a, maybe not quarterly, like your detox, but maybe semi-annually doing a little probiotic challenge to check in. I think often, again, we just normalize imbalance in our body. And it's like, when we reflect back, it's like, huh, for whatever reason, the last three weeks, I haven't had a really well-formed bowel. Like I'm still going to the bathroom every day, but it has not been as formed or firm. And I wonder what's going on there. And we can be susceptible to dysbiosis and gut bacteria imbalance through so many different facets of our life. Um, and so definitely checking in with your microbiome provigilantly with a probiotic challenge and then consuming at least a couple times a week probiotic rich foods and then dosing your probiotic accordingly to what you your body needs from those probiotic challenge results. That's absolutely, I'd say, a top priority. Then I would look at supporting gut integrity, consuming things like bone broth. If you're a high-stressed individual or using anything that's stressing the gut, that GI um, lining support would be key as well. A high antioxidant or ORAC score in your diet. So getting foods that are going to reduce oxidative stress. Remember, oxidative stress drives inflammation and suppresses the immune response. So we want to make sure that we have high antioxidant rich foods. And what's beautiful is a lot of the botanical choices that are high antioxidant are also going to have immunological properties. So thinking tea, for instance, we know that drinking tea boosts your interferon levels and your interferon levels literally responds within your immune system of how you fight infection. So you're getting the catechins, the EGCG, L-theanine for the brain, but then you're also going to be getting that kind of double bang for your buck. Totally. Um, and I'd lead you to, um, the immune webinar that we have archived on our website as just a really good way to understand the function of the immune system and how you can improve that at baseline before anybody is dealing with, you know, this infection or, or God forbid any other. Um, but for all household members, I think that's a really good kind of foundational place to just get your immune kind of house in check, if you will. Yes. And then two supplements, which I consider pretty 
pretty daily essentials is our bio C plus getting vitamin C in the diet. You know, that's that kind of baby antioxidant in the chain of hierarchy. Uh, but the bio C plus is fabulous with that quercetin and the other bioflavonoids like ruatine, um, very anti-inflammatory and also helping to support immune response and then ensuring your vitamin D level is optimized. And that's another kind of regional area of concern. Mm -hmm. So there's more mold tendency in the Northeast. There's also lower vitamin D levels. Um, and so we do know that a healthy immune system function and inflammatory regulation requires optimized vitamin D stores. And interestingly, we've seen in research that the Borrelia infection reduces vitamin D receptor expression on immune cells. So it's actually kind of turning down the way that vitamin D works in your body, which would make your body's requirement higher levels of vitamin D. So our vitamin D balance blend would be absolutely key. Yes. And the couple of patients I've worked with, I've doubled their vitamin D mm -hmm. to 10,000 IU, you know, at yep. time of, of diagnosis and just kind of monitored them. Um, and it's true. Like I didn't see their levels <laughs> spike up or jump up. We just kind of maintained in yeah. that like 60 to 90 optimal range. Um, keto actually could be helpful as well. There's not a lot of studies on this, but I know, um, Tim Ferriss, the big podcaster guy like mm -hmm. swears by having used keto to recover from some of the kind of chronic Lyme symptoms, um, especially the chronic fatigue and the sure. brain fog. Yeah. I mean, the big picture there is that remember that ketones are cleaner burning fuel for the brain. So ketones also fuel the mitochondria. So when we're looking at, uh, getting that mitochondrial dysfunction back on track, we want to support the energy powerhouses of our cells. And this is going to be through producing ketones. Um, so ketones are going to be a fabulous way to reduce oxidative stress in the brain as well, which will help that autonomic and that central nervous system to be more regulated. And, um, we also know that within a ketogenic diet, blood sugar levels are optimized. And when you optimize your blood sugar levels, your immune system functions better. We talked about in our episode, I think it was called keto and immune health. Um, we do dig into it in that webinar you referenced, which I think is a really good kind of organized package for you, but that keto immune connection, um, I called out a lot of the various mechanisms of ketones on T cells beyond, uh, also B cells. Again, the NLR, uh, P3 pathways and these inflammasome pathways that actual ketones have an influence on modulating or basically regulating inflammatory pathways of the immune system. Yep. And I also think going low carb, you know, we typically are going to do that when we do any kind of a gut or pathogen yes. cleanse, right? In our beat the bloat cleanse, for example, we're going to 60 grams of carbs or lower. We're removing grains. So keto kind of naturally does that. And then some. Yes. And then the last point I'd make on keto for this is that when you're in a state of nutritional ketosis and your blood sugar isn't on these mountain peaks and valleys, it's easier to fast mm -hmm. and intermittent fasting often is thought of as kind of a, a cousin to the keto diet, or I think they come kind of in synergy or in pairs together often. And when you are fasting, that's the best way, especially if you're fasting and you already have good, robust nutrient density in your body, then you're going to really get an upregulation of autophagy. And that's again, that kind of cellular cleanup that the immune system upregulates in a fasted state. We also see autophagy in general upregulated when in a ketogenic diet compared to those on a higher carbohydrate diet. Yes. Okay. And then what about supplementation that can directly target this Borrelia bacteria and can this take the place of antibiotics or is it in addition to I think that that depends on the severity of the symptom. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I would always start with natural antibacterial compounds first. Uh, but, you know, everyone um, also kind of knows their own risk factors of their terrain. So I would say if it is already a malnourished child, you might want to go ahead and treat them immediately and just make sure you have that double insurance. Um, or if it's an individual that has one of these buckets of an area of a already known co-infection or a hazardous uh, work environment where they're going to need that leg up, maybe you take that more conservative approach of antibiotics. But, you know, I, I believe for myself, the way that I would first drive at it would be with uh, antibacterial 
foods and antibacterial supplements in a really aggressive protocol. And then I would retest to make sure that the antibody levels had gone down. Um, so garlic, um, you know, the allicillin, um, uh, allicin in, um, the garlic is going to be a great way to address Lyme disease. It's antimicrobial, antiviral, also has a lot of immunoactivating properties, botanicals in general. So curcumin from turmeric, uh, Boswellia from frankincense, astragalus, uh, prickly ash bark, all of these have been shown to be helpful in addressing infection. So the astragalus we actually have in our um, elderberry. elderberry plus, yeah. and elderberry plus would be a really fantastic one to play with as well because of the medicinal mushrooms in that blend, and those have favorable impact also that we see in eradicating infection, but also modulating that immune response. Kind of helping you turn things up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then that Boswellia would be leaning into our inflammazyme, which would have both curcuminoids and the Boswellia. And then I really think of in the world of antibacterials, uh, berberine as a big player. In fact, I often will just tell individuals to go right into the beat the bloat cleanse sure. as a kind of baseline approach and maybe even add in the GI reset because we do know that wormwood has some pretty favorable outcomes that we've seen in Lyme disease treatment. Right. Wormwood and then um, black walnut, which is in yes. that compound as, as well, well. Mm -hmm. um, which is typically thought of as an anti-parasitic, but it actually has been shown to be effective against Lyme disease compared to the first line antibiotic treatments. So pretty compelling. Yeah. Quite powerful. So that would say as effective, you said, or more effect, as effective as yeah. antibiotics. Yep. There you go. Um, and then, um, a Johns Hopkins study also showed that there were 34 different essential oils that could have some impact. Um, but the three that stood out, um, as kind of similar or better efficacy than antibiotic therapy were cinnamon, clove, and then oregano oil, which that would be in the herbal immune formula that's in our beat the bloat cleanse. And then reluctantly, I'll share that stevia actually has some promise in addressing Lyme. Um, and you know, the interesting thing is that the stevia could kill this Borrelia pathogen for Lyme. Um, we've seen actually that when individuals don't get outcomes from a standard two to four week treatment of doxycycline or amoxicillin, the University of New Haven researchers found that the stevia plant actually could be wiped out, wiping out or playing a role with eradication of the bacteria from Lyme. Yes. So not a reason to start doing it proactively, but it could potentially um, be helpful. And I believe it was the extract of stevia um, with alcohol. So standard alcohol extraction um, versus like the powdered like sweetener that you would, okay. you know, get that's a little bit more processed. So more taking it like a tincture essentially. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe doing like a stevia lemonade with turmeric could be something that could be a reasonable food as medicine add on at this time for sure. Yeah. Might be the only time we ever find a use for stevia. There you go. <laughs> um, and there is some reference that, you know, we always talk about how stevia itself can be bacteriostatic. And so by that, we're saying that it can kill off the gut bacteria. Sure. And so it yep. does connect the dots that this is bacteria and it could suppress the undesired bacteria in the body, just like it could suppress the goods. You'd totally. still want to transition off of that stevia lemonade after, of course, you uh, are have seen eradication and when you want to support then a good robust microbiome. Totally. Um, let's talk support for biofilms because that's a big area of focus with Lyme as well. Yes. So when we're talking about biofilms, these are like the networks of our bacteria. And we do know that NAC is one of the most powerful biofilm breakers. It serves also as a precursor to glutathione. And glutathione is that top dog antioxidant molecule that plays a role with supporting immune system response and can reduce oxidative stress as well as play a role with both phase one and phase two detoxification. So using our cellular antiox, which provides that NAC or N-acetylcysteine in conjunction with S-acetylated glutathione, you're getting a two for one. You're getting the precursor that breaks the biofilms, and then you're getting that master antioxidant that upregulates detox and offsets oxidative stress. Totally. And then you mentioned earlier the inflammazyme for um, the Boswellia that's in it. Yes. Uh, but we also use proteolytic enzymes mm -hmm. to be kind of these biofilm busters. 
And that would be really helpful with like the joint pain and, and, you know, muscle pain symptoms that we're often having with Lyme. Absolutely. And then we hit on upregulating detox pathways and mentioned that you'd want to be on a detox pack actively during your antibiotic treatment, as well as likely for weeks post. Again, I would kind of put in a three month window of detox pack minimum daily, but you might do a pack twice daily following the antibiotics when you're working that microbiome rebuild protocol. But on top of our detox packs, which do have, you know, phase one support, phase two support, antioxidant blend, and that phase one, we have milk thistle seed and other bile drivers and botanicals that have been shown in research to support Lyme treatment. Um, We also might want to bring in the Brocco detox. And the Brocco detox, remember, has sulforaphane, which is that phytochemical that comes in the broccoli itself. And sulforaphane has anti-inflammatory effects that can have effects on the brain and reduce brain inflammation caused by Lyme. Um, So this would be one that we definitely would want to bring in. The unique element of our Brocco detox is that it has the sprout and seed in the supplement. It also has the myrosinase, which actually activates, that's an enzyme that aids to ensure that your body's able to use the sulforaphane compound. So I think that that's a really beautiful thing to bring in to help on antioxidant level and detox level. And because it has been shown in research, I don't know necessarily mechanistically, but we know that Brocco detox can also be used to fight like H. pylori. So again, leaning into that potential co-infection and potential antibacterial role could be another area of why you'd want to consider layering that in. Totally. Um, And then let's talk just general support for cellular health and kind of the symptom management. Um, Because again, this is often going to be a long haul situation that's super taxing just on micronutrient status in general, right? Yeah. So going back to one of those daily recommendations of getting two to three cups of leafy greens, that's going to really support your magnesium. And we know that about 50% of the U S population is deficient in magnesium and magnesium deficiency tends to be higher in the Lyme disease population. Um, you know, we know that the symptoms such as fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, lower stress tolerance, and then that myalgia or myopathy, the muscle weakness and aching um, can all be aggravated if magnesium deficiency is present. So optimizing magnesium is really key. And this plays a big role also with how the body's able to use that vitamin D, which is important on the immunological function. So we would get in those two to three cups of leafy greens, nuts and seeds would be beautiful. And then we'd likely want to consider the relax and regulate as the magnesium bisglycinate formula. Yes. Um, and then adaptogens also can be helpful, especially, you know, if we are experiencing fatigue, quite frankly, which likely we are. Um, but we can also see, uh, that some of these medicinal mushrooms like cordyceps and reishi and maitake, um, can provide an adaptive immune response. So adaptogen boost would be a high recommendation that has that cordyceps in it. And then the elderberry plus yes. syrup on top of it is going to have the maitake mm-hmm. and, and shiitake reishi. Oh. and reishi, yeah. all mm-hmm. of them. Yes. So you're getting absolutely that adaptive immune response. We think of these medicinal mushrooms to modulate the immune response. So can downregulate autoimmune hyperreactivity, but upregulate immunosuppression in the body. And we know also what's beautiful is that medicinal mushrooms can boost intracellular antioxidants, um, specifically superoxide dismutase. And that further helps to shield or protect our cells. And then we know that um, medicinal mushrooms can also increase natural killer cells in the body. And this is what can help to battle off that bad bacteria. So I think for sure layering that in and then even like beyond the elderberry plus, I'm thinking of wild foods, uh, which is another sponsor of our podcast. And they have the medicinal mushroom blend. And I play with that often and add that into a smoothie, et cetera, really easy to work with. And that could absolutely be blended into foods. And then you can eat these foods, you know, so using actually, especially shiitake and maitake, these are more common used in culinary as well. Um, These would be beautiful to incorporate in a wild mushroom soup, maybe with bone broth, and then you can get some good two for one action. Totally. Um, And then I think of B vitamins, especially because again, there's that chronic fatigue element, but also for the neurological health element, we see B6 in particular to be very important for Lyme patients. So layering on, you know, good quality 
be complex, like our naturally nourished bee complex, I think would be a, a welcomed addition. Yeah. And you might consider if you're taking the cellular antiox, which has a pretty nice dosage of mm-hmm. that B6, you might consider using the methyl complete because I tend to see not as a co-infection, but those that genetically have MTHFR tend to be more susceptible to severe Lyme disease infection as well. So supporting that methylation pathway with the methyl complete might even be layered on beyond a B complex, or it might just be a little bit more strategic targeting that upregulation of removal as well as production pathways. All right. And then we mentioned turmeric as well. So I think in addition to the inflammasome, you might, especially if you're dealing with those real like deep yes. muscle aches or headaches associated with Lyme, um, bring in our super turmeric on top of that. And that's going to help with suppression of these inflammatory cytokines, which often are a problem in chronic Lyme as well. Yes. Research supports a 500 milligram curcumin complex three times daily. So just two capsules of our super turmeric, which is one gram or a thousand milligrams per capsule would absolutely do the trick there. And I know we've thrown a lot of supplements at you. So before we go into lifestyle recommendations, I just kind of want to break down the priorities. I think, you know, first line defense, I would go into the beat the bloat cleanse, which is that bundle with the herbal immune, the berberine boost, the GI cleanup and the ultimate detox. So you're kind of getting really good broad spectrum coverage there. And I would go ahead and layer in the GI reset at four capsules daily on top of that, just to get more of that closest you can to an antibiotic with natural compounds. And then, you know, I would also bring in right away that GI immune builder as a powerful player and the cellular antiox and detox packs once you maybe go off of the ultimate detox or in transition time if you need a little bit more detox support. But those would be kind of the the biggest buckets of focus um, as far as a direct treatment. And then post-antibiotics is where you'd go into that rebuild spectrum, targeted strength, et cetera. But at that time, you're weaning off of the berberine boost, the GI reset, and the herbal immune. So we're kind of switching gears from plowing and, and killing off to replenishing the good guys. Yep. And then you mentioned doing a stool test kind of on the tail Mm -hmm. end of of things, Um, especially if it's been one of those, like we're on antibiotics for months at a time, cycling, retesting, and going back on them. Um, I think a stool test would be a really good place to kind of re-enter and, you know, do some damage control. Yes. Okay. So into lifestyle stuff. So again, we're thinking of lifestyle in the world of what are the susceptible risk factors. So an individual that's malnourished is going to be at higher risk. An individual that's high stressed and under rested is going to be at higher risk. So if we're looking at sleep, this is often something that we see as an issue of disturbance due to neurological factors with chronic Lyme disease. So, you know, making sure that the individual is getting a minimum of seven, ideally upwards of eight to nine during time of restorative focused recovery. This is going to be a great way to actually support the immunological inflammatory response to regulate. We'll also see more of that autophagy or cellular cleanup during that time. And so this might be time to use an eye mask, to work on a good sleep routine, maybe do some foam rolling, remove the blue light, um, really to get the body back in a good circadian rhythm. And this is maybe where we would lean into something like our sleep support with melatonin. Also, there's skull cap in there and other nervine herbs, but skull cap specifically, we identified that during COVID as a uh, spike protein blocker, but it also has been highlighted as as having anti-Lyme properties. So kind of an interesting one there. Could also do like a tincture of skull cap or look for a skull cap based tea. Um, and then sauna actually could be really helpful as well. Um, especially if we're having those deep muscle aches, mm-hmm. I think that would just feel really good. Uh, but we also know that increasing our body temperature, just like is done with a fever, mm-hmm. uh, but sauna in that sense could actually improve immune function as well. Yeah, we'll see an increase of white blood cells, including lymphocytes, neutrophils, and basophils after sauna use. And that's going to be actually more upregulated when you're using like an infrared sauna, which works from the inside out versus just sweating. Um, Remember, a fever works from the inside out as well. It's not an outside-in heating mechanism. So infrared would be a really beautiful way to ensure also that there's this anti-inflammatory and um, cell repair function going on, very restorative. 
restorative way to heat up the body and help to upregulate that immune response. Totally. And while also gently supporting detoxification, right? Yeah. Um, so win-win. Um, and then I think exercise to the extent possible, you know, oftentimes when we're in the throes of Lyme, we're not really feeling like moving our bodies a whole heck of a lot. Um, but I think sticking with some gentle movement, you know, even getting like 10, 15 minutes of a short, slow walk or yoga flow, some foam rolling, some stretching, um, really working to move that lymph as you're battling Lyme. Absolutely. And then the last one I'll add in, in the world of lifestyle is stress management and trying to maintain positive perspective because of course negative thought patterns and emotions can have that nocebo effect or really can drive more severity of disease whereas if we can make peace with the presence maybe we're not excited about this condition but we can say i'm confident that i'm doing the things to support my body in a healing process or something maybe even more neutralized versus harmful thoughts of oh my gosh am i going to be sick forever or is this going to get worse i'm really trying to harness the wild stallion of the brain is important as a really influential modality to healing. This also means that this would be a great time to practice gratitude, prayer, journaling, things that fill up the spirit and heart with a positive perspective because that can actually have impact on cortisol we know via research. It can have influence on secretory IgA, which is a marker that we would see influenced with immunoglobulin function in general, as well as leaky gut. Um, and so this could be a time to listen to the anti-anxiety diet on Audible uh, while you're walking around your neighborhood maybe and starting to employ some of the pillars of my book um, or to sit down and work with the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which would further lend into the anti-inflammatory and lower carb keto supportive recipes that are still very antioxidant rich and support healthy gut. So a lot of strategy in there. And, and I think that that's a good place to close because again, for all of you health warriors, again, thinking of the terrain as the risk factor. So if we're eating and living in the anti-anxiety diet type protocol, likely our terrain will be robust enough to combat infection without need for treatment period, because we may not actually get infected even with presence of the bacteria in our body. Okay. So hopefully this episode has been helpful for y'all in terms of some areas to consider, some areas of potential vulnerability and kind of shoring up the members of your household watching out for those ticks in the woods. If you are going up to the Northeast anytime this summer or anywhere that Lyme is prevalent um, and gives you some tips for um, treatment approaches if you are actively dealing with Lyme. So as always, please go ahead and leave us a five-star review over on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and share this podcast with a family member or a friend who might find it helpful. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.